Welcome to The Slip, an Atlanta sports podcast for the true ATL. And I am the host, Brandon Baird. You can follow me on Twitter at Bairdian underscore slip. It's good to have y'all here. We got a lot to get into today. Um, we're definitely going to get into some Braves talk later today. Um, you know, I want to go over free agency. I want to kind of review some of the past signings since I haven't done that. I also want to talk a little bit about what I want to see um, going forward in free agency. Uh, we're also going to get into a little bit of Falcons talk, which I will debut a new aspect of something I do to make sure that I am having fun during these Falcons game in a season that d- does seem lost. Um, and then I'll definitely get into my final thoughts. But you know who I got to get into first. I got to tell you who I'm slipping on. Want to piss him off? Here is what he's slipping on. This week, I'm not slipping on a player. I'm not slipping on a coach. I'm not slipping on an an assistant coach. I am slipping on a writer, and that writer would happen to be Jeff Schultz of the Athletic, formerly of the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Um, I think is a very nice guy, but I think he is very misguided with a recent article that he came out with which is titled Schultz, semicolon. Falcons look like a team that should move on from Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. I just think that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. As a beat writer, or he's not the beat writer, but as a writer that covers all Atlanta sports and is typically an opinion-based writer, I think he is completely off-base with this take. Um, And the expression that the Falcons should move on from Matt Ryan and Julio Jones is something that is such a knee-jerk reaction in the moment that I honestly don't think it was well thought through. When you look at players like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, you look at two players who have sustained the most success in Atlanta Falcons franchise history during their careers. You look at a former MVP in 2016 that led his team to the Super Bowl. You also see a guy through his first 13 seasons, has more passing yards than anybody else in NFL history. With Julio Jones, you get a perennial guy who is consistently at the top of the league in receptions and tip, and and typically at the top of the league in yardage. Although he has had some injury history in the most recent, he is known as a perennial top three wide receiver in this game and this is a this is at a position where people come and go and have these one-year spurts where they're good you know you you see people like Victor Cruz who like spurts up and then you see another person like Adam Thielen who just over their career cannot ever be compared to a player like Julio Jones And this is why I think it's such a knee-jerk reaction. Because if you look at the totality of the season, 
it is unreasonable to say that they should be let go. Because three of the losses in the games versus the Cowboys, the Bears, and the Lions, oh my, that if those historical collapses would not have happened, this article would not have been written. This article would not have even been thought of. We can even go into statistics. Where this year, Matt Ryan is fifth in passing. And is consistently in the top half of the league in passing. Which will get the job done. I'm not looking for Matt Ryan to be an Aaron Rodgers. I'm not looking for Matt Ryan to be a Patrick Mahomes. I'm looking for him to be a competent quarterback that can lead a team down the field. Now, he was not able to do that in this past game. He had two ill-advised interceptions in the fourth quarter, especially in times where they could have ran, went down the field and had gone down the field and been in a position to run out the clock and kick a field goal. But this is also a guy who has shown since his rookie year that he can win games. It is nonsense to blame him for the times where the Falcons were able were not winning in the playoffs. Whether that was 2011 or 2010. They faced two really good teams during that time. One when Aaron Rodgers was starting to come up and show how good he was. And then they ended up winning the Super Bowl. And then in 2011, you saw a New York Giants team who had a phenomenal defense. Now, it's not acceptable that those things happen. But Matt Ryan has consistently shown that when he is put in a good position, that he is able to win games. And that's all you need from a quarterback. And to think that he's not going to be able to do that going forward is completely misguided. You then look at Julio Jones, who, and these are stats from Football Outsiders, is currently 10th in total value per play in wide receivers. This is after missing two games and being injured in multiple others. In 2019, he was 7th. In 2018, he was 6th. In 2019, He was second in the NFL in yards. In 2018, he led the NFL in yards. This season, he is currently on pace that if he is able to play in these last three games, he is on pace to be able to eclipse the 1,000-yard mark once again. None of those stats point towards a player which a team should move on from. There would be 31 other teams who would love to have Julio Jones, even at the price that he's at right now. So let's get into the price a little bit. And why is the third reason this take is so unreasonable? Let's look at cap cost, okay? If the Falcons were to move on from Matt Ryan or Julio Jones this year, with Matt Ryan... Next year, he is supposed to discount $40.9 million towards the cap. 
if they cut him or trade him, that will be a $49.9 million cap hit, which means they would lose $9.9 million, $9 million in cap space if they were to go move on from him. In Julio Jones's case, if they decide to move on from him after this season, next season his cap hit would be $23 million. The dead money, if he were to be cut, $38.5 million, which means that that would be a $15.5 million deficit without having those players combine those two things. You get $25 million in money that you cannot use that is working against your cap. That's if you do both. Now, Jeff Schultz did not say that you need to move on for both next season. But he did say that you needed to move on from one at least. And in both cases, I do not see how a team could get better. Now, it's a little more reasonable in 2022 where with Matt Ryan, you can save $15.1 million and you can save $3.7 million in cap space if you cut and combined, that would be $18.8 million. But you're telling me you're going to cut Julio Jones to save $3.7 million? A guy that is still shown to be at least top 10, and I still think when healthy is a top three receiver in this league. And you're going to try to save $15.1 million in two years to cut a quarterback? That has been a stalwart throughout his career and has shown the ability to win at the highest level. I just think that is nonsense. But it's no more nonsense than what the reporter asked him. In in the last question during his presser after the game. And I quote. So, uh. When you have games like this, do you uh, start playing the what-if game or uh, start to question how much you have left in the tank? It was a sneaky, shysty question that should not have been asked. It is unreasonable to ask a question of that with Matt Ryan. That if those three games against the Cowboys, the Bears, and the Lions, oh my. Would have been one. This wouldn't even be a thought in anybody's head. You're listening to the slip with Brandon Baird. All right, all right. Welcome back to the slip. It's time to get into a little bit of more Falcons talk, where I'm going to introduce to you something that um, I got from frequent contributor of the show, Ennis Coble, and this um, list that I'm going to come up with actually started when um, I was a rising junior in high school during the summer uh, where we were playing summer ball. Um, And Ennis, who was on varsity and, you know, a proven guy, he is not the type of guy who would be playing on the school's Travel summer team. You know, he had much more big things to go to uh, with his travel teams, um, definitely involved with East Cobb. But 
occasionally he was able to come out and and grace us with his presence and he once took notes of a game and in this game it was possibly a five inning game in high school and I'm pretty sure the team got run ruled and Ennis created the big list of fuck ups and that is why I'm going to go into today I'm going to go into the Falcons Chargers big list of fuck ups number one on the list Jacob Tutu Mariner dropping in coverage. If you don't know who Jacob Tutu Mariner is, I will also refer to him to JTM for the remainder of this podcast. He's a guy that won Defensive Player of the Week when the Falcons played the, the Raiders because he forced a fumble, got two sacks, and recovered two fumbles. Why is he dropping in coverage? He got beat last week. He got beat this week. Number two on the list. After a big play on offense in the first quarter, or maybe in just the first half, the first down play was an out to the fullback who proceeded to drop the ball this leads into my third fuck up of the game where the first play of the second half was a quick out to the fullback in a flat it lost two yards now in the second half there was also a third and one in a tie game where I guess, once again, Dirk Cutter thought he was too smart for anybody. Where they had a play fake to the running back, Todd Gurley, who was losing reps to Ito Smith and Brian Hill. Where the play fake and he ran into the tight end. That play ended up in an intentional grounding. Because Matt Ryan had no one to throw to. And no one knew what to do on that play. The fifth fuck-up of the Falcons of the day was the long outside routes when the middle had been working. You see a lot of people not throw those outside routes. For example, Tom Brady not throwing those long outside routes anymore because the first time he did it of the season, it was a pick six. Look it up. Next. How can we forget the two interceptions in the fourth quarter when there was less than three minutes left? That's just unacceptable. Matt Ryan has to make better passes in those situations. I think we all agree with that. I think these are very obvious things. I think it is very reasonable for a player to mess up in these situations and it happens. That does not mean that he's incapable of throwing those things. I think he knows it. I think we all know that he just needs to do better in those situations. I think he can do better in those situations. Now, you're probably wondering why I'm harping on the offense. Well, because the defense played fairly well. I mean, they gave up 20 points and they really only should have given up 17. 
Maybe they should have given up just 20 points because the Chargers definitely messed up the field goal at the end of the first half. But the main thing on defense, they couldn't stop the screens and they couldn't stop the run. The running back was eating their lunch all damn day. And if you let a running back like like Ecular eat your lunch all damn day, you're going to get beat. Justin Herbert didn't look too amazing. He wasn't doing anything special. It's not like he was moving the ball down the field in a way where he was going over the top of the defense. I mean, he was just dinking and dunking for 9 to 12 yards at a time. Seemed like it was a lot of hit routes, a lot of crossers, and that's what got the job done. But I tell you what else got the job done, and this is the final one of the day on this list. Allen had a field day with A.J. Terrell. Now, I know that you that A.J. Terrell is our best cornerback. Well, maybe. I think Darquez Denard can probably be up there too. But to have A.J. Terrell essentially shadow Allen throughout the game, it just didn't work out. Now, those are the things that are on the Falcons Chargers big list of fuck-ups. Hopefully next week, the list will be shorter. But that's not the end of the Falcons talk. You know, I I think we understand who the Falcons are. I think we understand that, you know, the Falcons were eliminated from the playoffs. And it's not like I don't think anybody in this studio was hoping for the Falcons to somehow make it to the playoffs. Because I really do fear that they just embarrassed themselves this year. Um, so, you know, just save Atlanta the embarrassment, you know, hang on to a little bit of pride and just go out like the bums y'all are. But then I also see that Atlanta fans don't know how to actually cheer on their team. And it's such a terrible sight to see because I don't think they know when to be angry and when not to be angry. You know, it's one thing, it's already ridiculous that you got a guy like Schultz that's saying that the two best players and potentially the history of the Falcons should just be gone. But it's also fans that are complaining like they're losing by two touchdowns when the Falcons were winning by a touchdown. Now, I know that, you know, you can't really be focused on social media and, and you know, there's probably more reasonable people somewhere. Well, if y'all reasonable people are out there, I, I want to meet y'all because I need y'all. I'm tired of the Falcons actually doing things productive and well and then fans acting like that they're... They're just not doing anything well. Um, and this particularly happened in the first quarter. So, in the first quarter, the Falcons' um, first drive was a three and out. You know, it's nothing terribly reasonable. I mean, why should I expect Cutter to get a first down um, after planning for a week? Uh, to try to get some yards. I don't know. 
Anyway, they go three and out. And then the Chargers have a long, methodical drive that takes up more than 10 minutes of the first quarter. And they end up scoring a touchdown. And people are losing their minds. Calm down. And the the reason why I'm so frustrated at these one situations is that that doesn't mean that the other team is particularly playing better than your team. They just had a good drive going. And it makes me wonder what the hell these Falcons fans are thinking because I know a team that did it in 2008 a whole bunch. It was called the 2008 Falcons. That had a rookie QB that led them to the playoffs. And the reason they were led to the playoffs was on the back of Michael Turner running the ball down people's throats. And the Falcons being able to put together long, methodical drives that ate up the clock. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily better than the other teams. They just executed better than the other teams. And it just reminds me of when I, the last time I played Madden. It was in 2012. I remember I went over my boy's place. Then it was the summer. We both worked at the Y. It's like, yeah, man, a new Madden came out. Just come play, man. Come play, man. We'll play together. And so I did. And... I remember the first drive that I did playing that game because I was still getting used to the controls of it. I took up the whole first quarter with one drive. I didn't even score in the first quarter. I scored in the beginning of the second quarter. I'm not comparing Madden to real life football. But just because I was able to eat up a whole bunch of clock and score on my first drive does not mean that that team was better or that I was better than him. All it meant is that they were just able to execute as I was able to execute on that first drive. You're listening to The Slip with Brandon Baird. All right, all right, buddy people. We're back with the slip. It's time to get into a little bit of Braves talk, which I actually am excited. Can you hear it in my voice? I'm excited to talk about some Braves. I'm just happy I get to talk about a team that can actually win. Kind of. So we're still deadlocked in free agency. And just like many other years, things are moving in extremely slow. And as you heard in my final thoughts last week, Um, I do think that Rob Manfred needs to really restructure how free agency is done to add more excitement to the game, get people more excited. There's nothing more exciting than one player going to a new team. It's so exciting because you you live off of of promise and potential and, and the feeling that you get is unmatched. Because most of the time you're just let down. 
But for those brief moments, you think your team and that player that you signed is going to win the World Series and he's going to be the MVP. Now with the Braves, they actually have a player that is out there that they can sign and actually has MVP potential. And that's Marcel Ozuna. And I do understand that with things needing to take time in free agency, I definitely agree with that. Um, I don't think Ozuna is going to hop at the first offer that the Braves offer him. Um, you know, I think there's going to be so many other people that are interested in him. But also, it would be a disservice to him for him to re-sign with the Braves in any capacity right now without knowing if there is going to be a DH in the National League next year. It's just that there's no reason for him to do it. I think that he may lose out on a lot of money if he actually does that. Or he may not be putting himself in the best position. Now that's from Ozuna's standpoint. Now from a Bray's standpoint. Like I've been saying all offseason. They need to re-sign him. No matter if there is a DH in the National League or not. The way that he hit. And the way that he provided that protection for Freddie Freeman throughout the season, even though it was just a 60-game season, was invaluable. You can tell that it made Freddie Freeman's hitting from a perennial all-star to a guy that won the most valuable player in the National League. Now, you might be worried about the defense and and kind of the sloppiness out there. And I definitely got frustrated in the few times he actually did play in the outfield last season on some of those balls. It just, he just looked clumsy. And, and as an outfielder myself, I just don't like clumsy in the outfield. I like smoothness. I was also raised with Andrew Jones. But I tell you what, and I completely believe this, that the offensive production and the protection that he provides for Freddie Freeman is far more valuable than the mistakes that he may make. Now, Ozuna is a guy that played pretty well in the outfield earlier in his career, and he's only 30 years old. I think that he should be able to do a little bit of something better so that he'd be able to make less mistakes in that in the outfield. You know, at least don't do something that is so terrible that it leads to many more mistakes. But I'm hoping that they can get him to a point to where he is at least serviceable in the field. Because if he is at least serviceable, then that bat is going to be that much better. And the production that he will end up giving this team is going to be very, very valuable. And is going to put the Braves in the position 
to be a World Series contender. So I think that the Braves should give him a four-year for $100 million, which is an average annual value of $25 million per year. I think that is plenty. And it's $7 million more than what the Braves paid him last year. Now, I do think that he will probably want a fifth year. And, you know, they're going to try to get as many years as possible. And it's not too bad. Because when you think about a player like Ozuna and the, and the probability of the NL definitely being a DH league come 2022, and especially in 2025, in his age 35 year, then you can definitely expect that he would be a valuable designated hitter for the team. And they'll already have other people in place to take over in left field. The Braves do not need to miss out on the value that Marcelo Zuna can provide just because they are worried about the National League not having a designated hitter. Another reason why you want to go out and get Ozuna is because there's no other left fielder that's going to provide the value that Ozuna provides. I see that there's talk about them possibly getting a Michael Brantley, who I think is just going to stay with the Astros. But it's not like Michael Brantley is a good outfielder. I don't not at not at this stage in his career. So if you're worried about that an outfield, why would that why would Michael Brantley even be a choice? And if you could have a choice between Ozuna and Brantley, why wouldn't you pay more for Ozuna? That just doesn't make sense. But you know, we'll wait and see. But at the end of the day, I do think that um, Alex Anthropolis comes to his senses and is going to sign Ozuna to a four, four-year, hundred million-dollar contract. You know, we'll wait to see that. But other in free agent news, I love the signings that the Braves already have. Um, they signed Charlie Morton, who's at the end of his career and coming back to where the place where he was raised in Atlanta. Um, you know, he started out his career in Atlanta and then was later traded for that bum Nate McLeod. But I think that Charlie Morton is going to be a fantastic number five guy. And that's what the Braves need. Just something with some stability. He will be the stability that the Braves need. And then they got Drew Smiley, who is a guy who really upped his game in strikeouts when while playing for the Giants this past year. Now, this is a lefty that can start. He can come out the pin. And depending on how he is pitching, when Soroka comes back, he may be a person that is pushing Kyle Wright or 
Bryce Wilson down to the minors or to the bullpen, or he's a guy that can go to the bullpen himself. The reason why I like these signings is that it gives you the depth, but it also gives you the flexibility. Now, the Braves had an excellent bullpen last year. They need to keep up that continuity, and they need to keep that up. Now, what happens if Ozuna isn't signed? You know, there's plenty of options. There is the option of bringing up Drew Waters if they feel that he is ready. There's also the option of re-signing Duvall, who was non-tendered earlier this um, earlier last month. Or was it this month? I can't remember. Or they can make a trade. One of the trade options that I've been seeing flowing out there is that the Braves make a trade for Chris Bryant, which will move Riley, Austin Riley, to left field. I don't think that's too bad. Hell, even Chris Bryant could play left field. Left field isn't a premium position as long as that person's hitting. So there's so many options that the Braves can go. But I honestly only think that there's one option that will help the Braves be a World Series contender and get them over that hump that is the Dodgers. This is The Slip with Brandon Baird. On Saturday, December 12th, a scary moment happened in the middle of a Division I men's college basketball game. Keontae Johnson, the SEC preseason player of the year for the University of Florida, collapsed after a timeout. He walked toward midcourt and proceeded to faint, falling headfirst onto the hardwood. There was no clear indication on what made Johnson faint. After being wheeled off the court, the game continued and the rival Florida State ended up winning the game 83-71, as if a man, a son, and a teammate had not just been driven to the hospital without assurance of his well-being or prognosis of his recovery. Johnson is currently in stable condition and breathing on his own, his parents said in a statement through Florida. But this is not after being in a medically induced coma previously in the week. The story is concerning because Johnson had been diagnosed with COVID-19 earlier in the year. With little research, it is known that myocarditis and inflammation of the heart muscles are a side effect of COVID-19 that can lead to heart failure. Just like Jermaine Stevens, a football player for California University in Pennsylvania who died in September after being hospitalized with COVID-19 and pneumonia, this incident was swept under the rug in the moment. Rather than being known as the big man on campus, Stevens will be remembered as the first college football player whose death can be traced to the virus that has killed over 300,000 Americans while Johnson will likely be forgotten before March Madness can craze the nation. Me knowing the final score of the game between Florida and Florida State was a mirror of America throughout this pandemic. The deaths and illnesses of many have been normalized, as if it is a means to an end as if these are necessary steps that have to be taken to overcome this brutal period. The scariest part? Only one question remains that it relates to extracurriculars and coronavirus. What will it take for people to take coronavirus more seriously?
everybody it's your boy brandon um i just wanted to give everybody who's been listening um over um, the time period that i've been doing this podcast thank you um it is not going unnoticed um you know please keep listening let me know if there's anything you like anything that you dislike anything that you want to hear more of anything that you agree with um if you could you know just subscribe that helps me out if you can rate that helps me out and review that helps me out um do all those things um and you know i'll forever be indebted to you all right i'll catch y'all next week